the mm-hmm. demand for food is increasing. More people are, you know, being born higher, you know, higher population, while the farm size has continued and continued to decrease over time. Over the past hundred years, we've decreased dramatically. And, mm-hmm. you know, a, a big thing that we're beginning to see now is huge agribusinesses are taking out the family farms. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, let me pull up the fact right here um, on one of the, um, you know, big things about people who own this land for agriculture that own the businesses. Here's just a couple names. These people own land that, you know, produce, you know, produce our food. Um, Scotty mm-hmm. Pippen contributed to it. You know, famous basketball player. He owned farmland. He owned a business that operated on the farmland. Charles Schwab, famous mm-hmm. investor. David Rockefeller, he owned farmland. And it's crazy that now, you know, it seems like owning a farm is more of like a rich man's game. Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black, and today we have a variety of topics, actually, any, branching anywhere from FFA to farm subsidies and even the representation of farmers, as well as a couple other things. To help me talk about this topic, I have my guest today, Chris. Uh, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Uh, would you like to kind of introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, most definitely. So my name is Chris Carter. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. I have my own podcast, which you can find just about anywhere you, you stream podcasts. It is just Chris podcast. I can plug the stuff later if you want. But I came across uh, Brendan's post looking for people and agriculture is definitely a very close topic to me, considering I'm very, very close to farmers nearby. My high school is surrounded by tobacco fields. So I'd love to talk about the topic of agriculture. I'm happy I'm here. Thank you very much for having me on, Brennan. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. It's definitely a pleasure to always talk to people who have an interest in agriculture, even if that's not necessarily their, you know, their their background. But, you know, people seem to have a a curiosity with it because, you know, at the end of the day, it is our food. It's important to know where it comes from. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) Awesome. So just jumping straight into it, uh, you, you know, you mentioned, uh, on, on Facebook, when you found me, a few of the different topics that you have, you know, interest in that you want to talk about. So you kind of want to start us off by, you know, the first one on your list. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we can definitely start talking uh, with FFA first. I, mm-hmm. I mean, growing up, I never had any interest in agriculture. I never had any interest in farms, tractors, any of that. And then when I got to high school, I had an extremely influential agriculture teacher who changed my mind on everything agriculture. And he was like, you know what, you should, you should give FFA a shot. Like FFA has so much more to offer than just talking about crops, talking about tobacco, all that stuff, all the, you know, the stuff you would typically think about when it comes to FFA. And over time, I realized that, you know, FFA is more than just that. I was involved in several different teams. I took several leadership positions met a ton of people, attended all the state and national conventions. Awesome experience. If I could go back and change anything, I wouldn't change a thing. So it was an incredible experience. Um, and actually, like, I was cleaning up my closet before we got this started, and my FFA jacket's hanging up in the closet. That's awesome. 
Yeah, no, I actually had a very similar experience to you. Um, growing up, I mean, I grew up in a very agriculturally based, uh, you know, part of town. I, you know, was raised around dairies pretty much my whole life. My family were all very actively involved in agriculture, but I had zero interest in it. I didn't want to be a farmer. I didn't want to be involved in agriculture. I had no interest in the mechanics or the animals or any of that. I just kind of wanted to go off and do my own thing. And similar to you, I had very, very influential ag teachers that kind of pushed me to try new things, to get involved in, in, you know, different teams. And I ended up becoming one of the top public speakers for my chapter. I was a chapter officer. I was, you know, actually coaching kids in public speaking and, and how to show animals towards the end of my years. Um, I actually have since since graduating gone back and helped coach some some teams and that sort of thing. I became a state champion citrus judge. Like I was involved oh, like, wow. pretty heavily that, from there. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you feel like a lot of like your like experience within FFA, like for example, your public speaking or the other teams you're on helped kind of evolve you into the person you are today in terms of like those small characteristics? Absolutely. I mean, I get asked all the time about because to give you a little bit of background, when I was younger, I was a very small kid. I, I literally I was about four or nine until I got into high school. Like I was a little little kid. Uh, I was a twig. You know, I was very shy. I did not like talking to people. I wasn't very social at all. Very introverted. People who know me today don't believe me when I say that. You know, because obviously I run a podcast. I'm very actively, you know, actively social. I'm very outspoken. Very loud. You know, I like to kind of you know speak my opinions on things. And I'm you know, I'd like to think I'm pretty articulate. And you know, I, I like to kind of be very professional, but also kind of, you know, joke around and, and, that, and that sort of thing. And that just de- definitely wasn't who I was before high school. And when people asked me kind of, you know, what happened, I explained to them that FFA happened, you know, really, it was being involved in those teams being pushed way outside of my comfort zone by my teachers being forced to try things that I never would have tried on my own, that really showed me the value in, you know, some of those skills, you know, I, I'm a firm, you know, believer in, in the idea that people should, kind of force is a bad word, but um, should, should be kind of, you know, push outside of their comfort zones here and there to try right. to experiment with new skills, you know, whether it be public speaking or job interview or, uh, you know, even something as simple as judging citrus, you know, stuff like that is, you'd be surprised the, the amount of confidence that it gives you and the, and the amount of, of character development that you find in yourself as you as you get more and more, you know, skilled at those kind of activities. Yeah, I definitely I can agree with that 100%. I was on the parliamentary law uh, team. So we did Mm. Parley Pro. And walking into it freshman year, it was a brand new team. All of us weren't familiar with it at all. And from my freshman year to my senior year, we'd all grown so close. It was me and I think five other girls. So I got super Mm. close with them. And then if we were to compare how we performed freshman year to state convention my senior year, a world of difference, like black and white. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's kind of the the experience for a lot of kids who get actively involved in FFA. Uh, there's kind of, you know, I think there's a big difference between kids who just go to ag classes and just learn the material, pass the test and go home versus those who go to ag classes and still learn the material. But after class, they're going to FFA meetings, they're going to state conference, they're going to national conference, they're, you know, competing in teams, they're practicing with their with their uh, coaches, you know, they're meeting with their teachers after class, you know, all of those experiences, they really they shape your character. You know, they teach you a lot. And Definitely. like you said, they form, you know, they form a lot of bonds that you typically wouldn't have. Almost every friend that I have today are not the same friends I hung out with in high school. They're friends that I learned or I met through FFA. Most of them didn't even go to my school. And, you know, I, I haven't met better people in my life than the ones who I met through FFA. You know, they're still to this day, some of the closest people that I know. Oh, that's awesome. FFA is great, man. FFA is great. Uh, so you mentioned you were doing citrus judging and then uh, public speaking. Were those the only two mm-hmm. that you were involved in? 
I, I tried out a couple different teams. Like I tried uh, dairy cattle judging and apparently I was really good at it, but I just wasn't really into it. Um, not that I didn't enjoy the, the content, but I, at, th- at that point I was still really, really shy and I wasn't big on reasons. And, you know, when you're doing a judging team, you have to give reasons and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't really crazy about it and I dropped out. My teacher wasn't super happy about that, but another of my teachers picked me up and had me do citrus judging and that was kind of where that started. Um, that same year I started doing citrus judging. I did extemporaneous public speaking. I did opening closing. Uh, I started doing agronomy. Uh, we had an agronomy team, which agronomy is kind of not the most fun contest. Sorry, I, Mr. I Castle, did agronomy. But it was... <laughs> I, I got a pretty yeah, funny I, I... story about agronomy if you want to hear it. Oh, I definitely want to hear that. <laughs> okay. You want me to just tell it right now? I'll just share it right here. So let's, let's hear it. Going into the competition, me and a few other close friends we were not prepared at all. You know, we, mm-hmm. we went to the study courses. We went and like hung out with the teacher after class, you know, try to get familiar with the subject. And mm-hmm. we just weren't ready. So riding on the bus there, we were in the back rather than like preparing like everybody else did on the bus. We're in the back just messing around, not taking it serious. Like we're there for the free food and, you know, something to do on a Saturday morning. And so we mm-hmm. get there and... I think it's it's judging seed or like seed ID. Um, there was like a, a written test. We had to judge potatoes. And then there was something else, I think. But we get there and we get to the seed ID, which is the first one. And we all look at each other. And we're like, oh, God, like we, we are not ready for this. We're, I don't know any of these seeds. And there's like 30 different seeds in the room. We're walking around. And it was at that point I realized like, we're in for a long day because I don't know a single thing. Like the stuff that I thought I knew, none of it was there. And so we made it through the seed ID, the written test, written test went all right. Like I'm not a bad test taker. <laughs> and then it came time for the judging of potatoes. And I'd never heard of anything like that before in my life. Like I didn't know, you, I didn't know you could judge a potato. And so we go <laughs> into the room one by one and you know, you do whatever you have to do in there. Then you walk out, then you're done with the competition. So they called my name up to go in and judge the potato. And I walk in there, you know, I don't know what to expect. <laughs> Again, how do I judge a potato? And there's three potatoes on the table. And on the list, like on the sheet that they give you, it's just like A, B, and C. And then like reasons below that, like for to fill in the blank for your reasons. And I didn't know what to put. So I was like, well, maybe if I just stand here for a minute and act like I know something, they like won't question it or anything. So... I thought we had to pick out the best potato and then we had to give reasons for it. So what I do, I pick out what I think is like the best looking potato and I just say like it has good color, good shape, all of that. And then I leave the room. And then when I leave, I go out into like the main area and this guy's like, wow, like you were incredibly fast. Like, I don't think I've ever met anyone that's like gone through with that quick because I was there for maybe like three or four minutes. (laughs) And then come to find out that you had to go through and judge each potato, give each of the reasons why you gave it, like why you ranked it that way, and then, um, you know, defend your case there. And when I found that out, it was afterwards when they were giving out the awards, I was like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. (laughs) Uh, And then we got the results back. And I think there were like 60 something people competing that day in a number of different contests. And it's me and three other guys, all on my team, the last four places in the competition. We finished at the, <laughs> in the dead last. 
Oh no. And then that's when I told my ag teacher, I told her the story about the potato and she's like, no, like you're not supposed to do any of that. Like you go in there and judge each one. Like you don't pick out the best potato. That's probably why the guy thought like how quick you were and you're probably good at it, but <laughs> dead last. That's funny. Yeah, no, it's agronomy was such a weird contest. Like we had to, so we didn't judge potatoes. We judged bales of hay. And okay. that was a, that was a weird situation. Like, I've grown up around hay my whole life because we had horses and, you know, cattle and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I've seen hay. Thought I knew what good hay looked like. They told us the entire contest, don't judge it off of color. You know, like, the greenest hay is not the good hay. You want hay that, you know, has the right diameter of, of, you know, stick. And there's a proper ratio of sticks to leaves. And they don't have any flowers in them. Like, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, whatever, dude. I always picked the one that was the greenest. And it was always the best one. And so it was like, I, I went through all the same, you know, had no idea what I, what I was looking at in the seed con in the like the seed ID. I had no idea what I was looking at for like the weeds or any of that kind of stuff. I don't I don't remember ever judging potatoes. I don't think that might be just be a North Carolina thing. Maybe <laughs> I'm not sure. It might be an NC thing, <laughs> right? But, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's funny. <laughs> I know. I, no, I still yeah, think I, about that to this day. <laughs> well, that's that's the funny thing about FFA is you know. Even when you're having like the most like nerve wracking experience of your life in a contest, you're still going to remember it, you know, because of how, you know, how, how crazy it was that you were like at a different place judging potatoes of all (laughs) things in front of a bunch of your friends. Exactly, exactly. And then if I like my high school, like I said, was huge in agriculture, middle of uh, tobacco fields. And then I went to college Mm. in the mountains and if I told the people in college, like, all my FFA experiences, they would look at me like I'm crazy. Like, they wouldn't believe half the stuff. <laughs> like, because a ton of the kids, like, they weren't introduced to FFA. Their school didn't offer FFA. So, like, again, you know, kind of back to the stereotype about farmers and FFA, like, they only see it as one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you're a farmer, you know? Right. Yeah, no, exactly. That's a, that's a really common misconception that I've seen quite a bit. I mean, even through the podcast, I've had people come on that haven't realized how advanced and how different farmers are than what they typically think them are. I mean, my own roommates, oh, yeah. you know, I'm in college right now. My roommates, you know, they grew up in a farm town with, they, they grew up in my hometown and, you know, none of them were in FFA, but they all grew up around farm, you know, around farmers their whole life. So they at least had an idea, but I would tell them about the stuff we do in FFA and they would look at me sideways and go like, you guys you guys really did that? And it's like, yeah, we really did that. That's how it worked. Like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, the people outside mm-hmm. of FFA just don't really understand it. Right. But no, I mean, back to the, you know, back to the point that I, I you know, think you're trying to transition to the, you know, the perception of those in agriculture compared to those, you know, the people who aren't in agriculture that see them or think that they see them. It, it's so skewed, you know, and not necessarily in a, in a bad way. It's just, you know, it's it's almost like a narrow view of what is actually there in agriculture so like to give you an example i've had people before that i've talked to about agriculture that i mentioned the fact that we use robotics you know we use um, artificial intelligence we use drones we use all this kind of technology they look at me and they go you mean you guys don't just milk cows anymore and it's like no dude (laughs) like we do but we have an automatic milker now we don't just stand there and milk cows or you know like we have we have tractors that can drive themselves and so we don't have to just go and pluck the corn ourselves like there's there's a lot more out there than than just the mci the farmer's not just some guy in overalls anymore exactly exactly 100 percent. i agree with that 100 percent. farming has evolved into a majority i would say like a technology game 
and the best tech mm-hmm. wins out there, the best tech and the most money. And that's that's definitely what shows out. And mm-hmm. I know I, we brought up John Deere briefly earlier, and I think a great example of that. So I am I studied finance in school. I'm very big in following the stock market and keeping up with investments. And just recently, a very popular ETF, which is like a, a group of investments pulled together, um, mm-hmm. They the one that they're focusing on is people who kind of like change the game um, when it comes to space technology. And so like, as you can mm-hmm. imagine, it's like SpaceX, Tesla, um, all these like, you know, outer space type companies. And then just recently, John Deere was introduced into that pool of investments. And there was a ton of backlash on that. And then, you know, it's typically the people who, you know, don't understand how much technology is involved in farming um, Mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of why that they were drawn off by it. But you think about it, the tractors today, like the computer in that is unreal. Like it literally does everything for you. So what difference does it make um, either, you know, a tractor in a field measuring the land or, you know, going off the GPS or a tractor on Mars going off the GPS? Like it's doing the same stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's like like you mentioned, you know, people will get upset about about investing in agriculture in, in the ways that, you know, from, from a stock perspective, you know, investing in agriculture would seem like kind of a hopeless endeavor for a lot of people until they realize that we're using more technology in agriculture than almost every other industry in the world. I mean, like yeah, space excluded, 100%. military excluded, but like, you know, the automotive industry, not even close to what ag is doing yet. I mean, like they're just getting driving car, you know, self-driving cars out. We've had self-driving tractors for a few years now, exactly. you know, like they're, like there's so much technological innovation. And it's just like you said, you know, ag- agriculture today is a game of technology and, you know, money to, to an extent as well, because you know, that all the technology right now is, is very expensive, but we're in a new revolution of agriculture that people tend to not, I mean, most people don't even know that there have been revolutions of agriculture. There's been, four or yeah, five it's crazy kind of debated but yeah there's it's just it's people are so i don't like to say ignorant because that's not quite the right word for it but they're so disconnected from what's going on in you know in their own food yeah a hundred percent i i couldn't agree with you more on that they just they don't <laughs> realize like the complexity to it they don't realize how in-depth right. farming goes and right now, I work as an accountant for a waste management company. So we, I'm, I work for one of the competitors of waste management, the big trash corporation. And mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing because people look at trash and they, they just see like, you know, just the trash truck come and picks up, picks up your trash every week. But when I started working for it, I didn't realize, you know, how complex the waste management business is. And, you know, the mm-hmm. technology that we use, um, you know, we go off GPS and maps all the super advanced stuff, hmm. and it goes deep. Like I'm telling you, trash goes deep, and it's it's very very <laughs> similar to farming because if you talk about trash around someone, like they're just gonna get like you know the stereotypical like trash guy drives the truck around, picks up the thing, just like that. But it it goes mm. so much deeper than that. Very very similar to agriculture. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've I've kind of I found that to be the case with a lot of industries. You know, we focus a lot of our attention on the industries that we can directly see the evolution in front of us like the automotive industry and the, and like the phone technology kind of industry and you know the entertainment industry obviously a lot of that stuff we can see the technology evolving because they're showing us with industries right. that we don't think about every day because they're they're almost kind of um what's the word i'm looking for like they're 
they're lesser issues in a sense i that, that's not quite quite the right verbiage but like you know the things that we don't have to think about every day because they're being done automatically for us like we don't have to go out and worry about our trash being picked up we just have to set it on the side of the road it gets picked up and that's it you know we don't have to worry about our food being grown because we just buy it in the grocery store and it's readily available for us like these are issues that we're not actively having to focus on every day whereas if your phone breaks you need to find a way to fix it you need to take it exactly. to the store and make sure it like so like you know it's when they're when it's not being shown directly to them they're not going to know what's what's happening behind the scenes and because of that there's so much happening that they're missing out on it's 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 almost a shame it is yeah yeah definitely i can definitely see that i mean another kind of thing similar to that um my area that i live in we're going through a ton of you know changes in infrastructure large populations of people are moving to the area we're transitioning out of you know the small rural town to now you know, one of the popular suburbs outside of the state capital. And I, mm-hmm. I hear it all the time, all the time from people that, you know, aren't from the area and they get pissed off. I don't, sorry, I don't know if that's a lot said on the podcast. <laughs> uh, they get super mad because they're stuck behind a tractor on the road. Mm. And then, you know, yep. flashing their brights at the tractor, honking at them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you just don't understand. <laughs> you, you don't get it. It's so right. frustrating to listen to people rage about farmers and rage about farm equipment on the roads. They they don't get it, man. <laughs> they don't understand it. <laughs> no, they absolutely don't. I mean, that was a, a big motivator behind starting my podcast was trying to to bring a lot of that to their attention. You know, I, I was starting to notice a trend that, you know, even if you kind of make people tangentially aware of, of what's happening they tend to not go out and find the information for themselves. So the only way to get it to them is to bring it to them. And so that's what I did was, you know, I was trying to focus a lot more on interviews with people that I knew didn't have that connection with agriculture. And so like one of my first episodes of my second season, which was more focused on those consumer interviews was all about technology and agriculture. And my guest to this day, he's one of my closer friends in the podcasting community. He had his mind blown when I told him that we use robots and artificial intelligence and GPS and you know all this stuff. And he was like, "You mean to tell me that we use more technology to grow food than to get us from from you know point A to point B with our transportation?" I was like, "Yes, like your That's your crazy. food is is so technologically advanced that it's like." And, and not just in the ways of like, you know, we use a lot of mechanics for, it. you know, like people tend to think like, yeah, you know, agriculture is technologically advanced. We have tractors like, no, we have tractors that can drive themselves. We have drones that can fly over a field and tell us where the higher concentrations of moisture are, where the higher concentrations of bug activity are, uh, you know, like all, all this kind of like we can take soil samples to tell you exactly what nutrients are available for crops to absorb and whether or not they're going to be healthy for you. Like there's so many different things that we can do that people don't even have a concept of until you introduce it to them. You know, they get, they get super excited when Tesla comes out with a new car that can do, you know, this new cool thing that we could do for a while. We just didn't put it in cars yet. We were using it on other things. Uh, yeah. A hundred percent. Definitely a hundred percent with that. They, they're just <laughs> not, they're not familiar with it. And, you know, I wished more people were involved, had interest in agriculture because I think it can bring a ton more appreciation to what farmers mm-hmm. are doing, you know, like farmer farmers mm-hmm. are slept on, but then you wake up every morning, you cook breakfast. Where's the food come from? A farm. You go out to lunch. Where's that right. food come from? A farm. Like it all comes in on a truck from a farm. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah, they, just, they just don't take that. And like, don't take that to head. Right. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I know that you, you brought up, you know, John Deere earlier and that you had some, some points you wanted to make on, on John Deere specifically. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, it was there anything in particular on, on that side of the conversation you wanted to, to dive into a bit more? Um, yeah, I mean, we can definitely dive into some John Deere. Uh, I think so. I've been, you know, while I was in college, I did, you know, quite a bit of research um, on agriculture. And I somehow like I tied it into my economics courses. So I did a lot of outside research on that and, you know, found the best way to describe it to my class in like an economic standpoint. And the one thing that mm. I came across that still stands out to me this day, I still see a ton of stuff about it when I'm going through YouTube or whatever. It's, you know, the separation between John Deere and the consumers when it comes to their technology. Mm. And I think we can compare that to Tesla today because with the Tesla, you can't just take your car to the shop and they fix it. Like if you have something wrong with it, right. you can, the average person isn't supposed to fix it. Like you have to call up the actual Tesla dealership. They send someone to you. They have to fix it. They reset the computers. And it's the exact same mm -hmm. with the John Deere tractors. I mean, over time, we've seen more and more technological advancements within just tractors that, you know, stuff that they used five years ago is outdated, like it's obsolete now. Right. And, you know, there's the big problem that farmers don't aren't really able to work on their own stuff, like without someone from John Deere being there or taking your rig to a John Deere dealership. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I've I've talked about briefly before in other episodes. But, you know, it, it's really nice to, to get to dive into it a bit deeper. But agriculture because of its technological evolutions has begun to create some kind of um what's the word i'm looking for not uh kind of like a symbiotic relationship that's that's probably the best way i can describe it with a lot of technological companies so um you know I, i've talked to people before that were kind of fascinated to find out that you know they that you know they, they're studying computer science in school right now or you know they maybe they were studying computer science so they're involved in you know in that kind of like the programming or coding or you know whatever and they find out that a lot of their research a lot of their work is the same kind of stuff that we're doing to our tractors or to our computers on the farm or you know to that kind of stuff and they find out that their job is applicable to agriculture um, you know, that they find out that some of them actually I've talked to that, you know, I talked to a computer scientist one time that had no background in agriculture, no relation to anything related to agriculture. He grew up in a city his whole life, had no interest, no curiosity. And I brought it up to him and he was like, you know what? It's funny you say that because when I graduated from college with my computer science degree, my first job was working on John Deere tractor computers. And no I was like, right. Yeah. And so he, he, it was kind of, you know, it was amazing to him to find out that he's he spent his entire life studying computer science just to go on to work on a tractor. And like he was like that that's not exactly what I expected when I got out of college. And I was like, "Well, that's the funny thing cuz that's where all the demand is, you know? Like agriculture yeah. is is like you said, you know, we're we're worrying about uh, farmers having lack of access to the ability to fix their own tractors because, you know, it's not like a mechanical tractor that you can just fix with a wrench. Like there's a lot of te you know technical stuff that needs to be done to the computer on the inside that they don't really know how to do. But this is doing two things. For one, it's opening up a market for new jobs for people from non-agricultural sectors that know how to do that stuff to become integrated with the agricultural community and kind of work closely with farmers. That way, it's not like you have to go straight to John Deere. It's like we don't have to go straight to Apple with our iPhones. There's a guy down the street that'll do it for a lot cheaper, you know. And so like that kind of stuff is starting to open up. So there's new jobs. But also it's forcing farmers to evolve as well to kind of learn how to how to utilize some of this technology and fix it themselves which is causing farmers to kind of 
step outside their own comfort zone, like we talked about with the FFA conversation, all that does is force growth. And, you know, that, that's forcing farmers to adapt and find new ways to, to fix, you know, fix their own technology and even invent some of their own. I can't tell you how many farmers I've met that learned how to, how to operate their, their own uh, tractors and how to fix a lot of the computer issues they were having with them and applied that knowledge to other things on the farm and actually were able to automize more and more of their farm without even needing the assistance of outside companies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. It's, it's crazy me, crazy to me, man. Like <laughs> they just don't, un, they don't understand the farmer. People need to understand like right. the incredible role a farmer plays and how they've, uh, in addition to all of their technology has evolved over time. Like, you know, say a hundred years ago, that farmer knew how to work on, you know, his tractor that, I don't know, like one of the earlier tractors, you know what I mean? And then as mm-hmm. technology evolved, the farmer evolved with it. He learned more things became more complex mm-hmm. yeah definitely i mean like like there, there's a big conversation right now about what to do with the future of ag because we're you know we're running out of like people you know there's all kinds of arguments about what we should do with farmers what we should do with agricultural land um you know there are people who are actively against agriculture that think that we should just eradicate it and you know find another way of getting food which by the way there isn't any no um <laughs> what there's <laughs> there, there's people who are actively in support of agriculture but they don't really know how to operate alongside it because like I, i've been making this claim that agriculture is not going to continue to thrive as long as the urban developments and the rural developments are completely at each other's throats you know there needs to be some kind of compromise some kind of communication here that's not happening because we're seeing this massive issue where there's a ton of urbanization you know there's farmland being taken out to build a new walmart which is i think the the most pure form of irony that can exist you're destroying a source of food to sell food and so it's but you know the more you had that conversation you realize people have a lot of different ideas on how to fix them and not a whole lot of them are exactly great because they're not utilizing the resources that agriculture has at its disposal you know, with technological advancement, with new regenerative methods and, and some more traditional methods, uh, with, you know, all of the things we've developed from agriculture over the years, there's a lot of ways that we can adapt to the urban sprawl and even actually reduce it to a degree and not have to worry about running out of a source of food. Whereas those in the urban areas are like, well, we'll have plenty of farmland left over if we keep expanding. It'll be fine. No, it doesn't work that way. Like no, we have a, not. we have a, yeah, in, in the United States alone, less than two percent of the population is actively involved in producing food, and it's keep it keeps going down. You know, like it does. Yeah, I mean to kind of. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're good. Oh, to kind of continue on, you know, the topic of modernization, the mm-hmm. demand for food is increasing. More people are, you know, being born higher, you know, higher population, while the farm size has continued and continued to decrease over time over the past hundred years we've decreased dramatically. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a a big thing that we're beginning to see now is huge agribusinesses are taking out the family farms. Mm -hmm. And I mean, let me pull up the fact right here um, on one of the, um, you know, big things about people who own this land for agriculture that own the businesses. Here's just a couple names. These people own land that, you know, produce, you know, produce our food. Um, Scotty mm-hmm. Pippen contributed to it, you know, famous basketball player. He owned farmland. He owned a business that operated on the farmland. Charles Schwab, mm-hmm. famous investor, David Rockefeller, he owned farmland. And it's crazy that now, you know, it seems like owning a farm is more of like a rich man's game. Mm-hmm. 
and, and it's kicking out the family farms, which is, you know, incredibly uh, like disappointing to see because they're the ones, you know, that started it. They're the ones that have continued to push over time. But as we make, again, I, I think like a common trend we're seeing here is uh, like the involvement in technology. They're able mm-hmm. to knock out more stuff uh, quicker than what the average farm would. Right. Yeah. And, and you make a solid point about, you know, agriculture is becoming a rich man's game. I can't tell you how many people I've had ask me, you know, hey, you know, if I wanted to start a farm, what would that take? First thing I tell them is a lot of money. You know, it's it's a very, very steep, uh, you know, price of entry. It's not exactly the easiest thing to just jump into because not only is the price high, but you have to find land, which is extremely difficult to find in, in certain areas of the country and especially the world. Um, yeah. Like I live in California. You know, you're you're not going to be able to find land for cheap in California. Um, it's just that's just how it is. It doesn't happen. Right. But you know, you can, you can find ways around it. You know, there's, there's definitely a, a you know, a, not necessarily abandoned, but like vacant lot farms that are, aren't being used anymore, but they're not, uh, they're not quite bearing yet. You can, you can, you know, rent out land and you know, there's other options for people, but I have all these people asking me why agriculture is getting so expensive and why, you know, small farms are dying out and larger farms are taking over and why family farms are going out of business and all this kind of stuff. There is one misconception I need to I need to clear up, and that's that you know family farms are dying out by the by the millions. There are some family farms that are getting bought out by larger corporations. That is happening, but still, about ninety six percent of farms in the United States are family owned. They they are getting bigger, and and that's kind of why you know there's this idea that a lot of businesses are taking over them because a lot of them are corporatizing into larger businesses. But that's mostly just to protect their own you know their own sides. It's not necessarily to you know to to. Uh, join the you know the corporate masses it's more so because the regulations are so strong that it helps to have a business backing you rather than just you know your last name right Um, so that's part of it but but there still are a lot of farms that are going out to corporates you know a lot of corporations are buying out farmland and like you mentioned there are a lot of celebrities are buying out farmland and all that sort of thing or all that sort of thing and it's it's difficult to explain to people why that's happening but a lot of it has to do with regulation. You know, there's a lot of regulations that are tearing out small farmers. You know, they're, they're having a really hard time competing in the markets. The, you know, they're having a really hard time keeping up with the regulations. Some of them just can't afford to evolve with the technology. Like you mentioned, technology does definitely change, you know, change the game quite a bit because the larger farms can do it a lot better, a lot faster and, and a lot cheaper. That's a big hurdle for a lot of small farmers. And not only that, a lot of, like I mentioned, the urbanization issue, there's a lot of farm, you know, small farms that are getting bought out by cities just to turn it into more, you know, residential areas or, you know, another Walmart or another, you know, and when small farms are barely scraping by as it is, if a city offers them enough money to keep them and their next generation and their next generation alive, why are they not going to take it? You know, exactly. and so it's just, there, there's so many issues that are, that are facing small farmers and I'm, I'm, you know, completely on the side of let's protect the small farmers as much as we can but there's only so much we can do without a, a massive conversation being had across the whole country. You know, you can't do a whole lot just by, you know, having a, a, a small conversation with the people who are being affected by it most. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. You know, there's, you know, like we said, like a ton of benefits to this, but there's also, it's unfortunate, but there's, you know, a dark side to farming when it comes to urbanization and these large corporations mm-hmm. taking over something that I have written down here um, when it comes to farm subsidies, the farmers, like the people that are on the land doing the work, they're not receiving the money. It's the people who own Mm -hmm. the land that are receiving the money. So over time we've seen P 
people begin to fill their pockets um, with money. And, you know, we saw $3.1 billion of farm payments went to Washington, D.C. in recent years. $4.2 billion went to people living in Manhattan. And $1 billion uh, in taxpayer money has gone to Beverly Hills. Mm. Now, think about that. How is that benefiting any of the farmers actually on the land? None of the farmers are living in Beverly Hills, Capitol Hill, or in Manhattan. Right. And another yeah. another thing we have, another statistic that I have written down here, is that out of all of the total farm revenue in a year, only 8% of those farms generate three-quarters of the total revenue. And yep. between the years 1995 and 2004... 22 out of the 435 federal districts receive more than half of the federal agriculture subsidies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, sounds about right. Yeah, and then in the same period, the top 1% of recipients that receive farm subsidi- subsidies receive 24% of the total, like the total pool of money, while the top five received more than half of that total pool of money. Um and then that average, you know, if you were to do the math on that, that's averaging 32,000 recipients receiving $1.2 million, while the bottom 80% of people, you know, the small-time farmers, the farmers that we're seeing to begin, we're beginning to see to die out, uh, it's about 2.5 million recipients. They're receiving 12% of that pool, which is equivalent to about $7,000 per person. Wow. So 80% of the people are seeing, you know, close to about $7,000 as compared to the top 10, 15, 20% getting over $1.2 million. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And, you know, like we said, like it's turning into a rich man's game and Mm -hmm. it it sucks to see truly. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And, you know, as someone who grew up in an an agricultural area, as, as I'm sure you can relate to, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing a family farm get, you know, get torn down or get bought out by a larger company. You know, it's, it's a really heartbreaking thing to see. And it's a really difficult thing to prevent. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, kind of like you said, the subsidy issue is definitely a large one. You know, there, it seems that a lot of the issues facing agriculture right now are because of, you know, top down kind of control, whether it be from regulation or from subsidies or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation may be, or, a lot of it is also like the urban, you know, the urban sprawl issue. There, there, you know, there's a, there's a variety of reasons why small farmers are struggling, but a lot of it has to do with they can't afford to survive, so they sell out their land to somebody bigger and continue to farm it for them, and then that somebody bigger gets paid for that land and then doesn't invest it back into the land. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely farmers who who you know they take those subsidies and they invest it back into the land into into their workers. As they and, should, and you know that's exactly you know right. That, that's what we want to see here is. You know, the idea behind subsidies is is not to pay farmers more for what they're doing, is is to pay them enough to try to supplement what whatever their land is, you know, requiring. You know, subsidies are, are meant to improve agricultural production, not just a pocket. And so it's that that is a big issue that's kind of, you know, debated in, in the agricultural community is what do we do about the subsidy issue? And in reality, there's not a whole lot we really can right now. Um, it's kind of just a you know it's terrible, you know, and we would like to fix it if we could, but there's not a whole lot that the farmers have control over. And, you know, it just kind of, you know, 
basically we're stuck to to the honor system right now. You know, the farm, the good farmers who get the money, they're investing it back into their operations. Those operations make more money, and that, therefore they can pay their employees more. That you know, that's kind of the ideal situation. A lot of them aren't necessarily doing that. You know, they're investing as much as they need to to keep the operation going, and the rest of it goes towards you know personal expense, and that's something that really needs to be you know brought down on a lot more. But I, I think, kinda I have think this. it's tough when, you know, a lot of the people like on Capitol Hill are receiving money. Like they're not going to mm-hmm. put laws in effect that don't benefit them, which is unfortunate, extremely unfortunate. Right. That it's, it's you know, yeah. it's a greed thing. Right. No, it, exactly. You know, it absolutely is. There's, there's been a ton of laws passed in, in recent years that have more than damaged agriculture. There haven't been a ton that have exactly benefited those farmers. And you know, a, a big part of it, and you know, like you mentioned, is is that you know people who are who are not even involved in agriculture directly are getting paid to help agriculture, and they're not. You know, it's. But again, the conversation comes down to how do we fix this? And I think that there's not an easy solution. My proposed solution is a lot of it's going to come through communication and education. You know, a lot of right. let's talk to people who are actually voting on this stuff. So let's talk to the people who are funding this stuff. Let's talk to the people who are actively involved in these processes and see if we can get them to see what's going on and, and actually try to aid with it instead of just allow it to progress. But besides that, I'm not sure what else we can do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's an extremely, extremely tough thing to conquer and I mean, as much as I would love to see, you know, this problem be solved in the in the future, it's just kind of hard to see like the other end of the tunnel too. You know what I mean? Right. No. And and that's kind of the scary thing with the conversations about agriculture right now is nobody knows what the end of the tunnel is going to look like. You know, it went, you know, in any of of the situations regarding agriculture, we don't know what's going to look like in the next you know thirty years where we're going to have to be feeding ten billion people. We don't know what's going to look like. You know, when we start when we start taking up way too much land and we don't have enough left to, to feed everybody, we don't know what it's going to look like when we start getting, you know, regulations that are so heavy that they're completely driving out any, any form of small farmer that's left. You know, there, there's a lot of, you know, what ifs and maybes and well, you know, like it's just, it's, it's almost overwhelmingly pessimistic when you start to think about it. It is, but it's, it's, it's unfortunate to think it, that way, but like, that's kind of the reality of it. Right. No, and you're right, and it is. I think that it's, I think it's important though to have the conversations, not for the sake of you know, boo hoo, this is what's going to happen, but more so so we can have the conversation about okay, well, we have some time before this starts to really start to cause some damage. You know, is there anything we can do about it right now? And if so, or if, or if not, what do we need to start doing so that we can fix some of it right now? You know, it's yeah. like we're talking about communication is everything. Yeah, definitely. And when I was in high school, when I was in FFA, uh, I was a part of a program where we went to local middle schools and we taught the kids about agriculture. And one mm-hmm. of the schools we went to is actually my old middle school. And, you know, it's kind of a, uh, I don't know the word to describe it, um, more like the upper class, like upper, upper middle class. Okay. Like that's kind of the demographic of where my middle school was. So a lot of these kids mm-hmm. aren't familiar with it at all. So I think it was awesome for us to go in there and actually teach them about this stuff, stuff that they're never going to learn about unless they're told, you know? And I Mm -hmm. think, yeah, I think more should be put into expanding agriculture, education, expanding FFA, really bring more people to a conscious idea of it. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, you know, ag education is one of the most important things that you can learn in school. I mean, 
I, I've been arguing forever that agri agriculture should not just be an elective, that it should be more commonly associated with the rest of the regular curriculum. And, you know, maybe don't require it every year, but, you know, at least, you know, make kids try it for a year and kind of get exposed to what's going on, you know, around them and, you know, get some experience with, you know, showing and with leadership potential and with public speaking and with all those other things, you know. I think that that's going to be one of the only ways that we effectively mitigate a lot of these issues that we're going to be seeing over the next few years. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. And I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen if these kids are required to take agricultural education classes? I mean, we could see both ends of the spectrum. One, they could be very similar to like you and I, where we had no prior passion for agriculture and then discover it. Or there could be the kids mm -hmm. that, you know, they take the class and like, you know, this really isn't my thing, but I did learn though. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's all we really want. Like I've said forever, I, I push the idea that people should need to learn agriculture, not because we need more people in agriculture. We just need more people to support agriculture. You know, Definitely. I, I've made a ton of friends, you know, through, through this podcast. I've had a lot of good conversations and a lot of them have ended with, you know what? That's really interesting. You know, these people aren't going to go on to become farmers, but they at least have a better idea of what's going into their food that they're buying in the grocery store. They're knowing what to vote on and what to purchase and, you know, where to where to invest their attention. And most of it has to do with preserving agriculture, not allowing it to just get, you know, pummeled to dust, basically. Yeah, definitely. I mean, something that I saw last week. So being on the East Coast, we recently had a pretty big gas shortage. Um, I mean, North mm. Carolina had 77 percent of all gas stations completely out of gas. So I wow. think if it was unreal, I'm telling you, like I waited 40 minutes just to fill up my tank one day. Um, Jeez. But it could be we could look at it the same way with agriculture. If we slowly began to see, you know, the products decreasing, the revenue decreasing per product or event or like eventually just a complete stop to it, people are going to panic. Mm hmm. And then, you know, like what I was doing as I'm sitting in the, the gas line for 40 minutes, I'm like, you know, why didn't, why wasn't I more proactive? Why didn't I fill up my tank yesterday? Right. Yeah. No, I mean, we see, we see people that it's kind of like the, you know, hindsight 2020 kind of situation, you know, people are going to get to that point where there's no food left and they're going to say, well, why didn't I get food before? Or why didn't I preserve, you know, why didn't I save the farm back when I still could, you know? And yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, that would have been great to do back when you, you know, back when you didn't know how to do it. That's why I'm saying, like, let's have the conversation now before it becomes a problem. You know, exactly. I, I have people talking exactly. all the time, like, you know, what's the purpose in talking to people about agriculture? It doesn't matter. We're not in a food shortage right now. Like, we're not, you know, we don't need overwhelming support. It's like, yeah, not Hence now. right now. But how about... Yeah. Yeah, how about in 10, 20, 30 years when we are struggling to, to even keep a farm alive because we're, we are so low on land and we're so reliant on imports that like we, we can't even feed our own population anymore? Like, it's not an issue now. You're right. How about we keep it that way? Man, it, it's crazy. People, um, people just don't <laughs> see it, dude. It, it sucks. Mm -hmm. It sucks. I mean, once we finish up with this podcast, I'm definitely going to share this with quite a few of my listeners because, um, you know, mm -hmm. I have demographics on both ends of the spectrum. I have, you know, the more urban uh, listeners and I have people still out in the country listening. I'm telling you, I'm going to get you on my podcast soon, and I'd love for you to really preach about it and let these people hear it. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like they don't realize it. They do not realize it. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd, I'd be more than happy to come on and I mean... My show is called Talk Ag to Me. I'm always excited to talk about ag with Great with name, people, by the so. way. Great name. And your logo <laughs> with you. the mic with the, the corn cob. 100%, <laughs> dude. I like it. I like the. I respect Thank it. Thank you. 
Awesome. Well, I know it's getting a little bit late on your end, so I don't want to keep you for too much longer. I hope you, you know, I hope I answered all your questions appropriately. Oh I had an incredible time, Brennan. Uh, <laughs> I haven't talked this much ag probably since I was in high school. Um, and <laughs> if you ever want to just chat ag whenever, feel free. Just shoot me a message on Facebook, Discord, whatever. I'd love to talk more. But again, I oh, truly yeah. appreciate the opportunity of you having me on the podcast. I'm really look, looking forward to this being uploaded. Um whenever it does, and then me sharing it with my listeners. It was awesome, Brendan. Really, I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, I definitely appreciate you taking the time. I'm always happy to talk about ag, especially with people who have experience, you know, who, are, who went through FFA, who kind of know the same kind of things that I know. It's always kind of like a fresher breath air, or breath of fresh air. That's how the <laughs> you know goes. But, you know, it's always nice to get to talk to people who kind of have that same background that you do. So thanks again, Chris, so much. Um, before we close out, do you kind of want to plug all your stuff, let everyone know where they can find you? Yeah, most definitely. So uh, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, uh, Radio Public, or really if you just Google just Chris Podcasts, my podcast shows up. I, I'd love to talk. I'd love to hear more from listeners. I love taking in more stuff and you know learning very similar to you. Um, so if you get the opportunity, definitely check out the podcast. I also upload to YouTube weekly, uh, videos of the podcast in addition to other clips that I, I kind of work on, but you know, that's where you can find me again, Brendan, truly. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Chris. I, I definitely appreciate it as well. Um, you know, thanks again to all the listeners for tuning in as well. And thanks for all your support over, over the past three years. I hope to catch you all in the, in the next one. And don't forget if you ate today, thank a farmer. Mm-hmm.